And that was the U.S. Army Band from the Library of Congress recording. And I'm Janine Stanley, and welcome to Afternoon at the Museum with Ira. Yes, and this is a very special show. It is our Memorial Day tribute. And I would like to welcome a very special guest today, Mr. Paul Mims, a proud Navy veteran. Hello, Paul. Hello, how are you? Great. And our special agent guest for today, Mr. Wendell. Hey, everybody. Proud Air Force veteran. All right. Represent. And today we're going to be taking a look at a museum that is very special to me because it's in my hometown and uh, I was at the dedication of this one. This is the National Veterans Memorial and Museum in Columbus, Ohio. And I, I am going to turn this over to Wendell to get us started with just kind of a general overview of this museum because the architecture alone could take up an entire show. But uh, let, let's take a look at this museum, Wendell. Absolutely. Give me just one moment and I will sure. pull up the goods here. Screen sharing here. Get, go over, get on my Zoom. Speech screen. unmuted. First. Google Chrome. Yeah. Mail. Finder. Amadeus Pro. Text edit. Zoom us. Zoom us. I have a thousand windows open here. There we go. Right. Excellent. And now you. Perfect. Okay, so I've got an image here of um, of the National Veterans Memorial Museum itself. Uh, as you said, this is in uh, Columbus. Um, now, to get started, uh, this was the brainchild of the late Senator John Glenn, um, who, of course, everybody mm. knows was a United States Marine Corps aviator, an engineer, and an astronaut. Uh, he was the third American in space and the first one to orbit the Earth. He circled it three times back in 1962. Um, so the concept here, uh, there are four main uh, focuses that this museum has. And this museum, uh, just to let everybody know, this is about the people. This is not about battles. This is not about armament. This is not about wars. This is about the people and their lives and, and their experiences and their sacrifices. So the first point is honor. Uh, this is all about honoring Americans' contributions to our country through military service. The other part of the mission is to connect civilians with veterans and their experiences, then to inspire visitors to serve their community and nation as actively engaged citizens, and then finally to educate people about the history and the value of military service. So now this complex, as I said, is in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it's just north of Highway 40 and just west of the Uptown District across the Scioto River. Did I say that right, Jenny? Scioto River. Scioto? Scioto. It's silent? Yep, silent. Oh, man, five minutes in. I already Old blew Indian it. All right. French combination, I think. But yes, yes, it is right in the heart of downtown Columbus, actually. A couple blocks west of the State House. Cool. Now, I'm going to share another picture really quick here. Now, just north of the, comp you know, as part of the complex, just north of the building itself, okay, is what's called the Memorial Grove. This is a two and a half acre circular lot of trees. Uh, it's bordered by a stone pathway that goes around the perimeter. There's a reflecting pool that's in a crescent shape that hugs the eastern side of the path, and that pool has two small water features of 
three small waterfalls each that face towards the grove of trees. Uh, that bench walk, that walkway also has several benches that face those trees. This was designed as an area for contemplation and reflection. There's actually uh, 251 trees from 21 different varieties that are planted in the Memorial Grove. And the architects were planned this so that as they grow together, they'll form a canopy that covers the entire spot. Hmm. A lot of a, a lot of very careful and and very expert planning went into this actually. Now I'm gonna go back to the building for just a moment. Because the building itself is also pretty special. Now, what's kind of unique about this is that um, the building itself is a circular glass curtain wall structure, like a modern, you know, like a regular modern office building, except it's a giant circle. Um, and then it has thick bands of concrete, of reinforced concrete that crisscross all the way around it, kind of oh, like wow. bandages. Um, and so those crisscross around that now the and going about halfway around it, starting at uh, the southeast corner, there's and Janine, I know you know this because you've been on it. Yes. There is a long walkway that spirals around the side of the building. Going upwards around the exterior to um, to an opening that leads out onto the upper deck, what they call the amphitheater. On the west side of that. And then also on top of the building, um, coming up from the amphitheater level, it goes up into a green space. And there's actually living grass on top of the roof where people can go mm. up and they can look out over the grove and over the city. Well, that was, I believe, where we were for part of the dedication ceremony. In right. The dedication the ceremony was up there. They, 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 they're also planning on using it to hold military weddings. Oh, that would be nice. That would be beautiful, actually. We uh, sat in the rain uh, listening to uh, General Colin Powell at the dedication, which was a huge honor. Wow. Yeah. That is exciting. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very special. Now, there's one more feature. Um, that is, right now, there is um, a temporary exhibition going on outside. Um, it's called The Wall That Heals. And that's a traveling three-quarter scale replica of the Vietnam's veteran memorial wall. Mm. Um, and so that has, you know, it's, it's three-quarters of the size. Um, so it's 375 feet. It, it's, you know, more than a football field in length. Um, and, and that's going to be on display outside 24 hours a day, starting today and ending on the 31st. Um, that has the names of over 58,000 U.S. service members who were lost in Vietnam, um, over 140 black panels on that wall that is in an extended V shape. And typically that replica is up in a county just north of Columbus, Delaware County, that often... Uh, Here's this time of year up in Delaware County. And so it's nice that this year they've been able to bring it down to the memorial and things are open so that people can, uh, can go and see it. And Paul, I will ask you if you don't mind, have you been to the actual wall in Washington? Oh, yes, I have. You are a Vietnam veteran. And uh, yeah, I was a Vietnam veteran, yes. And um, 
I have to say it was is a it was a stirring experience, totally unexpected, you know, when I went there. But once I was there, um, just provoke you know thoughts and memories and and uh, well just emotions. Period. Yeah, it, it's a very stirring experience. What else do we have going into the building? Well, as we go into the building, now this one of the things that I that I really enjoy about this facility is that again, this focuses on the people. This really does focus on the people. Um, and so I'm gonna share another one here really quick. As you go into the building on the main floor, uh, what we're looking at now is uh, the corner of the main uh, main entranceway. Um, on the far wall, are 50 flags, one for each state, and they're hung from the wall. Now, this is what's interesting. Normally, they'll hang them horizontally, like flat against the wall. These mm -hmm. are all hanging on, hanging on staffs that are coming directly out of the wall yeah, horizontally. Exactly. Yeah, and so they're draped down vertically. And so they're all the, all the flags from all the states are against the far wall. And then as you're coming closer, um, this is one of the exhibitions. There are several rotating exhibitions going on going on at this museum and this one has eight by ten banners eight about eight feet long by about four feet wide um, of veterans and what's really fascinating about this is that one side of the of these banners depict the the people as civilians in their civilian life um, and then the other side shows them mm. in uniform and on duty and so there's definitely some 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 time lapses involved there. But the picture we're we're looking at right now, this has this shows six of the banners. Um, one has an older African American lady in a wheelchair. Um, then next to that is a younger woman with dark hair and lighter skin who looks to be about thirty, got a brilliant smile. Next to her is an older gentleman about eighty, and he is in civilian clothes, but he is wearing a Medal of Honor ribbon. Those are hard to miss. Mm -hmm. And then behind that, now this is kind of interesting, is that there is there's an older lady um, in a Marine uniform. She looks to be about 80. Mm -hmm. um, there's an extensive story about her on the museum website um, in that they don't actually know everything about her. They just pieced things together from the records that they had. Hmm. Um, this is this is the kind of commitment that they have at this facility. This is again just all about the people. And this facility, in its former incarnation, in a, a different part, slightly north of where it is now, um, was not only a sort of conference center, uh, exhibition space, theater space, but also they had offices for a number of veterans organizations up on the second floor where a lot of people okay. went for services and things. And I don't know if that's still part of this facility. It may very well be. I would be surprised if it wasn't, actually. That, that I, did, I did find out that this is the only, this is the only veterans uh, memorial or museum that covers all the branches in one place. I'm always happy to see the Coast Guard because the Coasties always kind of get yeah. forgotten a little bit. But uh, yeah. the anthem nobody knows. So <laughs> you know, I would—I honestly, I would have loved to have joined the Coast Guard, but they don't have a recruiter in Colorado. Oh. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a little, it's a little tough. The one in Columbus is a little lonely, actually. <laughs> some volunteer work there with the Coast Guard Auxiliary, and it gets a little lonely over there, but yeah. Now, um, the, the interesting thing about this is, again, this is a circular structure. You know, so it's built on this kind of ring model. And the way they have this laid out is that the interior walls of the structure depict a timeline of American milita military activity starting mm -hmm. from 1775, you know, from the first stirrings of the rebellion, all the way through present day. So on the inner side of the ring, this has, you know, a lot of facts and figures, a lot of dates and times and places and, and photographs from that time, even a few, uh, even a few items, just when it comes, you know, through that historical line. Mm. On the outside of the ring, however, this is where it gets personal, because on the outside of the ring, it has mementos and memories and things to do with the actual people who were serving. Um, let me grab another one here really quick. a lot of activity during that period in the Ohio country, as it was known, and uh, points west, which were the northwest expansion kind of area uh, during that time. Of course, Fort Pitt, mm -hmm. Fort Duquesne over in Pittsburgh, and points west. Um, there was a, a great deal of activity, of course, since the French and Indian War in our area of the state. So kind of tying it into local, but certainly this is um, definitely a national perspective. Right. Yeah. Now this um it starts off on 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 the on the person side. It basically starts off with the draft, the concept of the draft and how it all got started. So this display uh, this display here on the outer ring, this one uh, has a quote from George Washington, which I'll get to in a minute, um superimposed over a really interesting picture. It is uh, the classic revolutionary war drum and fife corps. It's got the, the little boy on the left-hand side mm -hmm. with the drum, older mm -hmm. gentleman in the center with the white hair, looking very resolute, you know, pounding on his drum. And then the piper with the stereotypical bandage right around his forehead. Um, and then superimposed over that is the photograph of a modern military color guard with members representing each service. Um, and then the quote on that from George himself was, it may be laid down as a primary position and the basis of our system that every citizen who enjoys the protection of a free government owes not only a proportion of his property, but even his personal services to the defense of it. General George Washington. Um, now, this is... This is indicative of a lot of the stuff that, that is in here. Um, it really ties in the personal aspect with, you know, with kind of, and, and I don't want to say whitewashed history, but sort of, um, it's sort of general. Everybody knows, you know, the high points. Everybody has seen that, that drawing, that representation of the revolutionary uh, pipe and drum corps there. Right. And this gets a lot more into uh, into the personal aspect, as I said, like, uh, let me show you another one that definitely looks like fun. Um, they have a display and it's an interactive display. All about boot camp. 
Oh, boy. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> and this photograph, uh, the sign here uh, on this display says, try out for boot camp. What does it take to train for military service? Try on a drill sergeant's hat um, or feel what it's like to wear a helmet. Put on a flak jacket or try to pick up a rucksack, but watch out. Those backpacks can be heavy. You might need to work together with a buddy to lift it. And so this has a line of different backpacks and rucksacks. Mm-hmm. You know that were used throughout throughout history uh, at the actual weight, and so people can put these on. They can try them on. They can feel what it was like to slog around. I take school kids through here all the time. Um, yeah. So yeah, this would be uh, this would be just incredible as a kid to see all this stuff. And yeah, that would definitely be it definitely be a lot of fun. I think I did see a picture somewhere of a little girl putting on a, a drill sergeant's helmet. All right. Looking like she was quite comfortable in it. <laughs> <laughs> She's probably at Camp Pendleton now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Find another good one here. Now this one, okay, this one is also good. Um, and let me share a new one. They also they do a lot again with with personal aspect of it and so this display is just called evolving oaths and all this is it just shows a few printed copies of the different oaths that people in the service took Interesting. okay and i didn't realize they changed i mean it would make sense but you know just was something i hadn't even thought about right well and it all started actually in um what happened was it you know i can i can read the the text on here that uh, the military oaths date from ancient rome and were readily adopted by American leaders at the nation's founding. After the Declaration of Independence, the Continental Congress decreed in September 1776 that all soldiers and officers must take an oath of loyalty to the new nation. In 1789, Congress reinforced the, pra- the pra- uh, practice, rather, requiring military personnel from all branches to pledge to support the newly adopted Constitution and to bear uh, true allegiance to the United States. Congress later approved slightly different versions for officers and enlisted personnel, and in 1862, added the optional, so help me God, at the end of it. And so I can, and this is very dear to me, actually, being a strict constitutionalist, is that when, when, when I usually argue with what I call yahoos online, I like to point out that we in the military, we didn't take an oath to any one leader. Right. We took an oath to the Constitution. And that, to me, is very important because it's not about one person and one person's ideals or one person's opinions. It's about the document that founded this nation and the principles that we were built on. Right. I'm not going to make it through this without crying. I'm telling you. (laughs) Every time, every time it gets me because, you know, just looking at the bigger picture, you know, Hmm. and. A lot of people, especially uh, in bad economic times, like when I graduated high school in the late 70s, early 80s, the economy was terrible. A lot of my classmates went into the military. Then after 9-11, a lot of folks went into the military and never realizing (coughs) until they took that oath exactly what they were committing themselves to. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, you know, that's an excellent point, Janine, because one of the things they do touch on when they're talking about the draft is that there were economic reasons that people would enlist. Oh, 
you know, they're they're completely open about. Oh that. yeah, there were mm-hmm. there were people who were joining to escape poverty. Yep. That's all there is to it. Yep. Well, that's why many of uh, many of my mm-hmm. classmates did. And a few. Yes, matter of fact, I have that screen here. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this that was one true as far back as World War One. Oh, yeah. Certainly World War Two. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this that what this statement says is that it, it's titled "Why We Serve," and it states Americans join the military for a wide variety of reasons. Some are drawn by patriotism or family tradition. Um, I come from a long line. My grandfather was uh, was in the Navy in World War Two. Uh, my father was in Army Intel uh, in Eastern Europe um, during the Cold War. So yeah, there's a there's a family tradition for some. Others seek to escape poverty, find career opportunities, or get skills that are valuable both within and outside the military. Others, including many draftees, just responded when the nation needed them. They didn't have any reason except my country needs me, so I'm going. Right. Or a whole lot of choice at certain points in our history. <laughs> That's true. That is absolutely true. I don't think you mentioned it, but, you know, we hear those stories about how, you know, so many uh, young men went in because that was supposed to straighten them out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, and even that were alternatives to jail sentences. Yes, yes. You and go to jail or uh, go to the Army. One of my classmates had that happen. He went into the Navy and fell in love with nuclear submarines and that was his thing and he was a lifer and i think he's just recently retired actually uh but they were all shocked shocked (laughs) we thought for sure he would be you know uh definitely doing some time but he really that was his place i i I can definitely see that i I think i definitely took a different turn when i joined So one of the things that um, that's really cool about this museum is that there also there's also a lot of interactive exhibits uh, that have a ton of information. Like the picture I'm just showing now, this is uh, now this is what's really unique is that this is an animated star. It sits about waist level and it's about ten feet across at each point, uh, from point to point on this star, five pointed star, and it's blue, slightly raised in the center, and on the face of it is an ever changing graphic. Oh, wow. That, that covers the surface of it. And at each point on the star, it shows different facts that come and go about veterans. Oh, um, over a background that looks like little dots that sort of show like population centers in the country, these, you know, and so some of the figures that, that they toss out um, on these graphics were there's 20 million veterans in the U.S. right now. Um, 9% are women. And now this is an interesting one. Um, about how many living veterans do you think there are from World War II still alive? Ooh. Maybe 200,000? Yeah. Probably a high guess. 325,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my. I was way off, too. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But so this is all about giving interactive you know, information to the people and again this is all about the people who served which is one of the things that i just really love about this um now also on um on this first floor 
have not yet been inside of this museum. I, it's one of my, you know, we were going to go and then the pandemic hit. And uh, so this is one of our must, must go places as soon as we start uh, going again. So I'm excited well, I, I, to see what kind of uh, accessibility arrangements they've made here because I know they've made them. I, okay. I would be really excited to see that too. Now, know. one of the no. things uh, you remember, I, I discussed before that you know how it splits off uh, into the timeline and then into more things that, about the um, you know the service members themselves. Uh, what this is is this is a picture of the interior again, and on the left hand side it shows a number of the displays. They're all in large panels, um, spaced out about twenty feet apart. Uh, and the one here in the foreground, this one's really interesting because it talks about the conditions. Uh, that people served under. And one of the things that most civilians don't think about is the heavy amount of censorship that mail had to go through mm -hmm. when getting to those people. So this display um, has a photograph, looks from the 40s with uh, a woman in the Army Corps uh, holding a United States mailbag. And then superimposed over that, are some of those propaganda, or not propaganda, I guess they were propaganda oh, posters, they were. <laughs> warning, warning about yeah. loose link, you know, loose lips sink ships. You have to be careful who you talk to, make sure you don't put anything, you know, indicative in your personal mail. Um, and it's all about censorship. You know, when it came to people trying to communicate with their family members. Right. And then look at the difference uh, now in that we've got uh, because of the First Amendment, live reporters in the combat zones, yeah. traveling with units. Yep. And so, and you know, what used to be held really close to the vest is now right for everybody to know right now, real time. And, um, well, I guess in a way I have a problem with that, even as a veteran, but. I think yeah, it's a lot harder on the families because you don't know what you're going to see there. Right. You know, there's nothing blocking you from what you're seeing. And yeah, and and the the well, and the communications are so much different. Oh yeah. Right. You know, yeah. The um, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be able to to talk to my loved ones immediately. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, to to communicate. I mean, the quickest I could do was either. Uh, a you know, sometimes long distance scheduled phone call when I could you know, get it in Korea, right. or we used to use ham radio operators oh, yes. who would yeah, transmit yes. messages mm -hmm. back and forth. They were volunteers. And so it, it would be common to say, you know, hey, mom and dad love you over. And they would they would trans, you know, they would translate the message for you. They would just repeat it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, going back and forth. And so you'd be talking through three, four, maybe five different people. I'm guessing that there are probably a number of explorers in our customer base here who are ham radio operators who have done that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But just to think about the immediacy of communication now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they all have iPhones. Well, <laughs> well, anyway, smartphones. Yeah, Some kind of phone, satellite phone, even in some of these places where people are deployed. Right. Now, one thing that I am really very happy to see that did, let me just find this, here we go. Um, there is a display, let me find, there it is, okay. Um, the, the, the mezzanines uh, rotate through different, uh, different exhibits. 
-hmm. And the one that's going on currently See, I had it. I just don't you hate that when you lose the photo? There we go. Okay, got it. This one is called Depicting the Invisible. And this has to do with PTSD. This one hit me when I saw the description. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, I find this really amazing um, because this is a set of stark black and white photographs you know, of veterans, and the, you know, each one is at least six feet high, uh, square. Um, oh, wow. Okay. And they are all races, genders, you know, it, it spans the spectrum. But there are very, very personal statements involved in this. Um, just to give you an example, the one here in the, um, in the foreground on the left-hand side, uh, this, I mean, this guy has biker written all over him. He's, he's got to be six foot five, Easy, 250, 275. Okay, this is, you know, in a dark alley, he might be terrifying. He's cradling his infant kid, and his hand could literally just cover their head. It's, yeah. you know, he's, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're so large. Yeah. Um, and then in this photograph, just find that one because it's, here we go. In this photograph, it has his personal statements on there, uh, such things like how he was uh, he was out on patrol and they ran over an IED. Okay. And so he developed a traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. um, and it took years for him to get the proper combination of meds so that he could feel like a human being again. Because for so many, for so many, for so many of these veterans, you know, the injuries, the physical injuries can heal. Yeah. But how do you reacclimate to civilian life when you were living a completely different existence? You know, and I, I can give a little bit of background on this. I, I've, you know, I've worked with a lot of veterans in my time and um, adjusting to civilian work can be particularly difficult. Adjusting to office politics. If you, you know, if, if you're a young man who was in the infantry, right? Yeah. And you dealt with this, these kind of situations and you show up 15 minutes late to work because you got in an argument with your wife because your son's video game, the subsonics were triggering you and you didn't even know. Mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. you know and so you show up late to work and here's this assistant manager who's trying to scare you about being late <laughs> yeah 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 the reaction is not pretty and it's mm. because this, this is you know when when you are when you are trained to react to threats a certain way it's hard to get out of that mode and so that's one of the things I really, I really appreciate about this about this exhibit is that it touches on the reality of that. Right. You know. The, go ahead, Paul. Please. Well, I was going to say that you know TBIs, you know, are you know a, a totally unique set of injuries. You know, like you said, you know the, you know any physical injuries they had could heal. After that, you don't know they have a disability. You know, very possibly just by looking at them. If they didn't have the severe injuries, but um, 
I, I actually met a lieutenant colonel with a TBI. And um, he, he was basically, they considered him legally blind because he could look at words, but he and couldn't understand what he read. So his, his injury left him with difficulty, impact, impossibility of processing. So he looks fine. He could drive, except that he can't, you know, he had trouble with the signs. So there's a lot of people walking around there. They're combat injured. You, you can't see their injuries, you know, because all their limbs and everything else is there. They're not, they're not using a white cane or crutches or a wheelchair. But they've definitely been injured. And so now think about all of the veterans that were in World War II and Korea before they identified TBIs. And how many of those are walking around totally misunderstood, untreated, undiagnosed? So it, it's, it's something that's older than we realize, but just as stark uh, no matter when it happened. Yeah, they, 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 I remember um, my father telling me a story once about a substitute teacher when he was you know, a ruffian in high school in, in the 50s who had what they called shell shock. Yes. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? And so, the, you know, some of these kids would think it was funny to make a loud banging noise, you know, to freak him out. Uh -huh. And I'm thinking, well, now we call that PTSD. Thank you very much. It, it's, you know, it, it is... Uh, the reality is that everyone who serves makes some kind of a sacrifice right? because your life is not the same ever. That, and, and that it's hard to impart to people sometimes because how do you explain that? You know, and so these, you know, that's, again, that's why I really appreciate these because it's, it's important. Now to, to piggyback on that, one of the things that, uh, that they're doing uh, which I think is really fascinating is that they have an interactive display um, that they call a con that's it's about a conversation what they call a national conversation. Uh, there it is. Okay. And what happens is that uh, now this photograph shows a glass wall. Um, and the statement on, on it be, this being a national conversation, um, military service and service encompasses a broad array of experiences and carries different associations for Americans, whether active duty personnel, veterans, families, or civilians. By entering into a dialogue about the military, veterans, and varieties of service in the nation, we can create a more engaged sense of community and citizenship. We invite you to join in the conversation. And what this is, is a low table with papers and pencils and um and it looks like the papers are self-adhesive because people fill out questionnaires and information you know people kids who are you know, kids who are there can put their questions on these papers and then other visitors who are veterans can answer them oh interesting. Um, and this shows a gentleman who's obviously he's wearing a veteran's hat looks like navy um, it's black with gold embroidery uh he looks to be about 60 65 um He's carrying it. He's got uh, an oxygen tank um, on a cart, um, and he's bending over the table, filling out one of those questionnaires or answering someone. Um, mm. And again, this is all about that dialogue. This is all about um, 
letting, you know, giving people an insight into something they just might not know about. Now I need to go there and figure out how they would make that accessible. I can think of a, a number of ways, but that would be fascinating to uh, sit down and take a look at what people were talking about, actually. Well, I would be glad to help you with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I would love to have you as my agent for this one. So we'll, uh, we'll have to take a look at that, I think. Now, one of the other things that's on, that's on this mez mezzanine, in, in, um, it's called the Service and Sacrifice Area. Um, is they have a depiction of, let me grab this one, okay. Um, it's a dinner service table. It's called the missing, the missing man table, the POW table, the MIA table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is a formal dinner setting. Um, it is a white tablecloth, and there are a total of uh, six spaces on here, one for each service and then one for civilians you know, who are also lost in service. Um, now, a lot of people don't know, there is actually a very formalized ritual when it comes to setting this table. And every, every item on this table has significance. Um, and so you might want to strap in on this one. Janine, because I'm I'm gonna. I was gonna say um, I'm gonna lose it because my husband is one of those is one of those civilian employees. So but, you know, yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the way this table is set up um, is that number one, like I said, this is a white tablecloth, um, and it has and I'm gonna go into each detail here. Uh, first off, this table is smaller than any other tables at you know at any function. Because it symbolizes the frailty of one person alone facing the enemy. Okay. The white tablecloth, uh, that represents the purity of their response to our country's call for aid. The empty chairs um, depict an unknown face. doesn't mean it's any specific person. You know, it represents everybody who is not there. The table's round because that circle uh, represents that our concern for them is never going to end, much like a wedding band. Uh, there is a Bible or another holy book on the table to represent faith in a higher power and the pledge to our country that was founded on, as one nation under God. There's usually a single black napkin at the place setting. That stands for the emptiness that these people have left in the hearts of their families and friends. And there may be a purple heart pinned to it as well. There's usually a single red rose um, that reminds us of the families and their loved ones with a red ribbon tied around the vase, which represents the love of the country, which inspired them to serve. There's the yellow candle and a corresponding yellow ribbon just like the song tying the ribbon around the old oak tree, um, symbolizing the everlasting hope for a reunion for those people who aren't accounted for. Um, also on the bread plate, there's supposed to be slices of lemon because it reminds people of the bitter fate that others have to face. Um, there's also salt on the bread plate 
to represent the tears of the families of those people who were missing. Um, and then finally, there's a single inverted wine glass that represents that these are our distinguished comrades and they can't be with us to make a toast. And this means a lot. The, you know, the, this, this, this means a lot. This is um, because so much of, of, so much of our national conversations and, and so much when you think about the mythology of, of, of war and of service and all that, it's, it's very sanitized and it's very, there's a great, there's a great soundtrack to it. And there's, you know, there's lots of exciting special effects and all that, but they don't consider the actual human cost. Right. And I, I guess, you know, like for Janine and me, we can't see it. And for other people that can, they can see the display. Um, they still don't see it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. What there, what there is to get from that display is not what you see. It's what you could hear if they could talk and it's what you, what you feel if you put your own emotions into it. And is that a display that is usually at a lot of uh, military functions that are meals and things like that, formal dinners? Mm -hmm. is, is there a... What, what is there that describes that and the sim symbolism of that table setting? Um, there is at, at that, um, there, there is a, um, there's a placard, uh -huh. you know, that, that his, and, and um, I found a legible version online because you know, they all, it, it, it's all, it's all the same ritual, no matter uh -huh. what the service is. You know, it is, it is all the same thing and it has to do it has to do with the difference between what you understand, what you can't understand, unless you have been part of it. Right. Um, it, it's, I, I'm honestly, it's, it's akin to me being a, you know, me being a white guy and saying, you know, I kind of, I, I understand what it's like to be black now. I've read about it. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know, you yeah. can, you know, you, you can get some sense of things, but you, you know, unless you have lived it as so many of these people did, um, you, you really can't, and you really can't convey it to someone effectively because how can you convey every aspect of that existence? Right. I always feel like I'm same thing we get with, it, yeah. yeah, it's the same, um, I guess, response to, uh, we get from people when they put in an, they put on a blindfold one day for a while. Yep. So they know what it's like to be blind. Mm -hmm. I said, no, you don't. Cause you get to take the blindfold off. And you also didn't learn all the things that we've learned to cope with it over the years, right. as the families have, as, you know, the, the country mm -hmm. has over the years of people being gone and entire generations being affected. Right. And, uh, and look, Paulette, at your generation of the Vietnam vets and how many now are encountering some of the serious chemical exposure injuries that we had no idea. And for you, yeah, you and I. That were actually Still new onsets of that stuff. Yeah, it, it you know it takes decades to manifest. That's um, that's the reality of it. 
okay, got just a couple more here. Uh, that and and this this is really striking. Now this brings us up to the second floor, um, which, as you know, Janine, that is you know that that's where the amphitheater level is. Um, but this is seen from the inside of the building. And um, over one half of, of the wall, you know, that's an, that's an entire glass wall that circles, you know, pretty much half of the amphitheater looking out over that area. Um, now, the amazing thing with this wall is that it is painted with translucent stripes that go from the top to the bottom of the windows um, in different colors. And those colors represent the ribbons worn on a uniform. Okay. And so in addition to having this long line, you know, of, of the basically these military ribbons, you know, that, that are that are across this glass wall, um, the sun comes through those windows and basically casts those those ribbon patterns on the hardwood floor right. of okay. the viewing area. Uh, it's really striking. This is the, this picture shows a couple sitting on a wooden bench looking through those windows out over the amphitheater level. Um, and it's, it is, I just don't really, I don't really have, an, you know, the right words to describe what this looks like. It is just, it resonates. Because you see, you know, you see all these, um, you know, you see all these ribbons that represent the medals uh, and the achievements and what went into them. And how that just paints the floor with those colors. Now, the especially striking part of this is in between those colors on that top floor. In the center of those windows, there is a display. Um, this is a picture of that display looking out over the amphitheater through those windows, mm -hmm. but in the foreground, there is a single triangular folded flag. As is customary, it's on a stand in a glass case facing out towards the amphitheater level. Uh, and it's looking through the, you know, those, those windows with, with the ribbon patterns on them. Now here's the key. The, this space is about 10 feet wide, about a 10 feet wide square. Um, mm -hmm. On either side is a mirrored panel about 10 feet wide on either side of this. So when you look to the left or look to the right, the double mirror effect makes an infinite line of these oh, flags. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, this flag flew over the tomb of the unknown. Oh my. So what you okay. see is an infinite line of these flags, you know, going to the left and the right. Giving you that picture of what we just can't count. Yeah. Um, and there's a quote in this area that I'm going to finish up with. And this was from a, a Vietnam Army veteran. Uh, and the plaque says if you're able, save a place for them inside of you and save one backward glance when you are leaving for the places they can no longer go. Wow. And that was from Army veteran Michael O'Donnell. And uh, I can't think of a better way 
to finish that. Thank yeah. you so much, Wendell. And yes, my thank grandfather's you. flag from World War One, And my father-in-law and my brother-in-law, we have their flags as well. And I'm just thinking that infinite reflection. Wow. Yeah, that, 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 uh, that one really, and the funny thing is, as I was going through all those photos, um, I had, I had found that, but I found another one and I realized what it, what it was and I realized what that effect was. And it's funny when you take a fresh look and you suddenly get a whole other, whole other perspective and a whole, um, yeah. so yeah, again, that's what, that's what I, I, I love so much about this, about this facility is that this is about the humanity. This is about the people. Mm-hmm. I would like to thank you so much, Wendell, for your excellent description and curation of the, the many things about this particular museum. And thank you for your service. And Paul, thank you for your friendship over the years and for your enlightenment about veterans and, and your service. And I'm not going to cry. <laughs> You're not, huh? No, not at all. Not okay. at all. You have permission, should you change your mind. <laughs> yes, well, and we will let you all know, as a, as a wonderful thank you to our veterans, we do have an IRA plan for veterans, and as a thank you for your service. So if you are interested in that, and you are a veteran who can use IRA, and it's not just for blind veterans either. Um, it is for folks with TBI who have difficulty with visualization and things like that. So please avail yourselves of that. Uh, and with that, we will close with caps. Uh-huh.